Well, Merry Christmas Eve, everyone. Thank you for being here to, uh, to celebrate with us as we remember uh, the birth of our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. Thank you for being here. I also want to say hello to all of you that are watching our live stream. This is the one of our seven services that we're also live streaming. And so uh, thank you for tuning in and, and watching with us. Um, we're going to talk about the birth of Jesus. We're going to look at this really amazing story that we know as the Christmas story. Um, the, best, uh, the best reading we have with the most detail is found in Luke's gospel. So Luke chapter 2. If you happen to bring a Bible with you, you're welcome to turn there and follow along. If you did not, don't worry. We're going to throw all the words up on this really big screen behind me so you can follow along as we read the Christmas story. Before we get into it, um, a few years ago, I was talking with a guy who had visited our church who had grown up in this area, had grown up in central Texas, and then moved away to Houston. And he was back just visiting, and one of the things he kept saying in our conversation was um, how he had kind of forgotten how much he loved this area, how beautiful this area was, how little things that he remembers from growing up had been called to his attention, called to mind. And so I was like, well, what, like, what do you love about this area? What, what's, what makes it so special? And he said, man, everything, I, we drove out by the lake, and I'd forgotten just how wonderful and beautiful the lake was and how peaceful. We took our family to the Salado Stroll at Christmas time, and it was just a just kind of a fun environment around the holiday season. Uh, you know, he goes, y'all don't, y'all don't have traffic here? And I was like, yeah, we do. I mean, I, I spent almost three minutes on 2305 the other day. I got caught in two lights back to back. It was crazy. He looked at me like, yeah, sorry for your suffering, Dave. Uh, you don't know what traffic is. And so after he was just telling me all about how much he loved this area and remembered that, I just asked him, I said, well, if you love it so much and you grew up here, why did you move away? And he just said, well, I think it was a classic case of thinking that it would be better if I lived somewhere else growing up here. He said, at the end of the day, man, I think it just became so familiar to me that I kind of forgot, I kind of lost sight of how unique and how special it really was. I thought about that conversation this week as I prepared to talk to you about the Christmas story, because here's the truth. I think the reality for a lot of us is that the Christmas story for us has become so familiar that we almost forget how unique and how special it really is. Many of you have been at Christmas Eve services. This, this time of year, we always hear or read the Christmas story, and if we're not careful, it can become really familiar, so familiar that we just forget how great it really is, how unique it really is. And so we're going to read the Christmas story together from Luke's gospel, and then I want to talk about some of what makes it so unique. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So there you have it. There is the classic Christmas story, the real Christmas story as Luke unpacks it for us, right? And uh, the thing that you notice about the Christmas story is really the details of the story um, are a little, they're just a little bit odd. They're a little bit off. Um, A lot of people would say, honestly, it just seems, it feels a little bit wrong the way everything happened, right? Um, There's a Latin American theologian named Justo Gonzalez, and he made up a word to describe kind of the wrongness, how everything in it just seems off and seems wrong. And, and the word that he came up with was the word upside downness. The word upside downness. There's a really good word. You can try to use that in a sentence this week with your friends. It just means that things are a little bit odd, that things seem a little bit out of place. They're a little bit counterintuitive. They're just in some ways wrong. Like, we'll just walk through it really quick. For example, uh, Jesus Christ is the most important person to ever walk the face of the earth. There's never been anyone like him. He, he, he literally, his life literally divides time, B.C. and A.D. He is God wrapped in flesh who came to live among us, the most significant and important person to ever live. And so God could have chosen anyone to be his earthly parents. God could have chosen anyone to be this most important child's earthly family. You might think, well, for someone so important, maybe uh, he should be the child of like a king or a queen, or maybe a a prince and a princess, or I don't know, maybe someone religiously really, really important. But instead, God chooses an unwed teenage girl and a blue-collar carpenter from a dumpy little rural hick town called Nazareth, right? It's just a little upside down, isn't it? It's just a little a little odd, a little off, not the way that we would have drawn it up. Well, then God could have chosen anywhere on the planet for the birth of this most important figure to take place. He could have chosen anywhere, could have chosen any big city, really important location. He could have chosen a palace or even a hospital for this really important baby to be born. But instead, he chooses a barn, a stable in Bethlehem, another kind of dumpy little town in a manger. I mean, that's like the equivalent of, let's say that were to happen today, and God could choose any place in the world for this most important character to be born. And you might think, well, he might choose some major city. He could choose like LA or New York or Paris or Rome or London or wherever. And let's say he just went, nah, I think maybe, I don't know, Nolanville, Texas, right? Now, if you're from Nolanville, I don't mean to offend you, great little town. I drive through it all the time, right? But it just seems like an odd place for the savior of the world, the most important character in the world to come from. 
It just seems a little upside down. Then God could have chosen anyone to announce the news to, right? This is important information. The king, the the promised Messiah was finally here. And so who is God going to announce the news to? He's going to, again, go to the really important religious people in Jerusalem? Is he going to go to a big city and among royalty? Who is God going to herald the news of this Messiah, this king's coming? And he shows up out in a field to a bunch of shepherds watching some sheep. Again, that's like the equivalent of like, if that were to happen today, of all the people God could show up to and all the media, um, he's like, nah, let's just tell some like road workers out on Highway 36. That seems like a good group to herald the news. to. It just... Everything about the Christmas story just seems a little bit upside down. Seems a little bit upside down. It's almost as if God didn't want to make a grand entrance, right? It's almost like God didn't want there to be a grand entrance. He almost wanted to sort of sneak into human history a little bit. Think about a grand entrance. Like, how would you do a grand entrance, right? Maybe you have something in mind. When I think about a grand entrance a spectacular entrance, a couple different things come to mind. Uh, first of all, uh, when you think of a grand entrance, maybe you think of something, something like this. that's a grand entrance, right? I'm sure that was just like all of your weddings. I'm sure it was all the same, right? Just a spectacular grand entrance. Maybe weddings aren't like the thing for you. Maybe you're like, eh, you know, that's not a great grand entrance. Well, maybe you're like me. I grew up in like the 90s. Maybe this is what you think of when you think of grand entrance. I mean, some of you 90s basketball fans are ready to charge out of the tunnel right now, right? I think Austin and I should come out to something like that on Sundays. Just big introduction, no? I mean, that's a grand entrance, right? That's how you do it. But it's almost like God chose to make, you know, the the savior of the world just sort of kind of sneak into human history. Not a lot of fanfare, no announcer, no nothing. And then when he shows up to a bunch of people, it's just some shepherds out in the field. It just, everything about the story just seems kind of upside down. And as I thought about the upside downness of the Christmas story, it kind of dawned on me this week that really the Christmas story sets the stage for the rest of the teaching and the life and the ministry and the mission of Jesus. Because if you think about it, Everything else about his life seemed a little bit upside down, didn't it? I mean, for example, you have the upside downness of his teaching. Think about the things that Jesus taught in his three years of earthly ministry. Jesus taught things like, last shall be first, and the first shall be last. 
He taught things like go the extra mile. He taught things like if you want to be great, if you want to be great in my kingdom and positions of prominence and prestige, then you need to learn to be the least of these and humbly serve others. He taught things like turn the other cheek. He taught things like, you know, when someone sins against you or wrongs you, that you're to forgive them. And when he was asked how many times, he basically responded by going over and over and over and over again. You forgive them and you forgive them and you forgive them and you forgive them. He taught crazy stuff like love your enemies. I mean, everything about the teaching of Jesus just seems a little upside down to us. And yet that's what he taught. Then you think about his life. Think about the life of Jesus. He wasn't just someone that taught those things. He's someone that lived those things. And everything about the way he did stuff was a little bit different. So, for example, he called 12 guys to be his ministry team. He called 12 guys to be his disciples. And Jesus didn't do it like all the other rabbis did it. All the other rabbis, you know, they picked the cream of the crop. They, like, took resumes and, and found the guys with the right education. And they were the best of the best. And those were going to be their, you know, their disciples. Well, Jesus basically, you know, he doesn't take resumes. He doesn't let the cream rise to the top. He basically goes, um, I'll take a few of those fishermen over there. They look good. And then there's that, you know, kind of zealot terrorist dude. I'll take, he can be on my team. And then there's a tax collector. Nobody likes tax collectors, but yeah, sign him up too. He's good. And there's a couple leftover disciples from that crazy guy that yells a lot. I'll take those guys as well. And that became his ministry team. A little upside down, isn't it? A little upside down. Then you take the fact that he was accused of hanging out with all the wrong people. He was accused of being a drunkard. He was accused of hanging out with tax collectors and sinners and all the riffraff of society that everyone else said were unimportant. Jesus was friends of those people, and he hung out with them and had meals with them. And then he lived a really simple life. He didn't have a lot of material possessions. Jesus never owned a home. He never owned a business. He never traveled very far in any direction. It just seems a little opposite of the American dream and often the pursuits that we chase. Then you think about the upside-downness of his mission. The Bible's very clear that the whole reason Jesus came was ultimately to save the world, to save you and me from our sin. His ultimate mission, the whole reason we celebrate Christmas is ultimately because later we get to celebrate Good Friday and the resurrection. Jesus came to earth, he lived among us, and then he went to a cross. And the way Jesus chose to save the world, the way Jesus chose to accomplish the mission was not through military might. It was not through military conquest. It was not through political power. But he chose to willingly suffer and then die a horrible and humiliating death on a Roman cross. The whole mission of Jesus to us seems a little bit upside down. And so I think we have to really just wrestle with the fact that it's not just the Christmas story that's upside down. It's It's the way of Jesus. It seems to me that the way of Jesus appears to us a little bit upside down. And so what do we do with this information? What do we do with this truth? Again, I think we have to come to this understanding that if the way of Jesus seems upside down to us, that that maybe, maybe it's not Jesus that's upside down, but maybe it's us. Maybe it's, you know, our priorities Maybe it's our pursuits that are wrong. Because the reality is, things are as God says they are, not as we say they are. And so, really simply, this Christmas, our hope and our prayer for you 
is that you might sort of rest in the upside-downness of it all. As you celebrate Christmas with your families, you open gifts and you decorate and you eat food and you have time together as we even come to a Christmas Eve service that we might just remember the upside-downness not only of the Christmas story but the upside-downness of the way of Christ because I really believe that if we sort of lean into that, we allow that to shape us, it might just change us. It might just change our priorities. It might just change our pursuits. It might just change our life. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for Christmas. God, we're grateful for all that it means and all that it represents. God, we're grateful for family. We're grateful for friends. We're grateful for food. We're grateful for presents, the opportunity to give and to receive. But God, I pray we would not lose sight of the upside-downness of the story. And God, that we might not lose sight of the upside-downness of your teaching and your ministry and ultimately, God, your mission. And God, that that might cause us to maybe refocus a little bit. God, that we might realize maybe our priorities and our pursuits are what is really upside down. So God, I pray for um, all of us as your church. God, that we would appreciate more fully you coming into human history and what you accomplished for us. And for all of it, we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.